Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Olympics and mental health, Minnesota Upstream looks at the bright side of the state and Golden Gopher women's senior basketball player Godiva Hubbard. But first, police no-knock warrants, COVID worker bonuses, business tax relief, and new political boundaries all dominated debate this week at the Minnesota Capitol. Bill Werner joins us with a recap. Scott, as expected this week, a special court panel issued new maps for Minnesota's legislative and congressional districts to reflect population shifts in the 2020 census. The court made the decision because Democrats and Republicans at the Minnesota legislature once again could not agree. Both sides are analyzing the new maps, which will inform their campaign strategies ahead of this fall's election. Senate Republican Majority Leader Jeremy Miller. We're confident that... Our priorities for this session uh, will help us maintain and grow our majority. And again, that's focused on public safety, uh, education, and permanent ongoing tax relief for Minnesotans. Minority Leader Melissa Lopez-Franzen says the Senate DFL is ready to win and ready to lead. She says in every corner of Minnesota, quote, people tell us they want safe communities, a healthy Minnesota, and a robust economy that won't shut them out. On the federal side, the new boundaries affect the political balance only minimally in most of Minnesota's eight U.S. House districts, with a couple of notable exceptions. Hamlin University analyst David Schultz points to the hotly contested 2nd Congressional District, which used to extend from the southeast Twin Cities suburbs down the Mississippi along Lake Pepin to Red Wing and Wabasha and now still encompasses part of the southern metro suburbs, but instead goes more straight south and slightly west. Over to just north of Mankato, Schultz says Congresswoman Angie Craig. The 2nd District becomes a little bit more um, Democratic-leaning and favorable to her than before, and that may help her in a very tight election. Remember, the 2nd Congressional District is perhaps one of the most competitive in the United States at this point. And Schultz says two fairly solid Republican counties, Goodhue and Wabasha, will now be in the 1st Congressional District, represented by Republican Congressman Jim Hagedorn. Takes a race which, as we know, the last two cycles have been very, very tight between Hagedorn and Feehan, and I think it makes it a little bit more Republican. The sprawling 8th Congressional District, centered in northeastern Minnesota, will encompass more area in the north-central part of the state, plus pick up part of Washington County and the metro. But Schultz says the effect is, quote, either neutral or it's maybe slightly helping the Republican incumbent, Congressman Pete Stauber. Stalled COVID bonuses for Minnesota's frontline workers got officially entangled with yet another issue this week as the Minnesota Senate, on a strong bipartisan vote, gave thumbs up to $2.7 billion to replenish the state's unemployment insurance fund depleted by COVID and thereby avoid business tax increases. Duluth Democrat Jennifer McEwen warns a large amount of the people's money will go to shoring up unemployment insurance for some of the largest corporations in Minnesota who have actually done quite well during the pandemic. But fellow Democrat Eric Putnam from St. Cloud responds, Sure, this is going to um, give some tax relief to Amazon, and nobody wants that except for Amazon. But it's also going to help my friend who runs Jules Bistro in downtown St. Cloud. 
House Democrats signaled earlier they would approve $1 billion to shore up the unemployment insurance fund if Republicans approve $8 billion for the frontline worker bonuses, which have been stalled since last summer. But GOP lawmakers refused to include it in the Senate bill. It's very clear, according to our Senate rules, that this amendment needs to be dealt with in a different way in a different place, in a different bill. Big Lake Republican Mary Kiffmeyer, Minneapolis Democrat Omar Fateh, fired back. This body is now showing time and time again that it's ready to jump on command for the Chamber of Commerce, but do zero to help our frontline workers and our regular everyday Minnesotans. St. Paul Democrat Aaron Murphy pointed out Austin-based Hormel could see tax savings around $2 million. But the meat packers, the people who worked on the line who got sick, they are not yet in consideration for a $1,500 check. Anoka Republican Jim Abler responded, This money may be going out to businesses, but the businesses, in effect, signed the promissory note to make sure that hundreds of thousands of Minnesotans could, in fact, get unemployment. And this week, a bill that would ban nearly all police no-knock warrants in Minnesota narrowly cleared its first House committee on a vote of 10 to 9, it happened on the same afternoon as funeral services for Amir Locke, the 22-year-old shot and killed by Minneapolis police during a SWAT team operation at a downtown Minneapolis apartment. Reverend Al Sharpton told mourners Amir did not have a fighting chance. When they got to Amir's daughter on the night, they didn't check the warrant. It don't matter. It's a black man's house. He's a nameless suspect. Every one of us. There's a door breakdown away. Amir's mother, Karen, had a message at his funeral for those involved in the death of her son. When you go to bed at night, I want you to see his face. When you wake up in the morning, I want you to see his face. When you take a shower, I want you to see his face. Because what y'all have done to him has already been done to y'all. The bill that the House committee passed this week would ban no-knock police warrants in Minnesota except when someone is being held against their will and no-knock is necessary to avoid imminent death or great bodily harm. Mendota Heights Police Chief Kelly McCarthy testified the measure will not compromise community safety. Officers do not need a warrant to act when they are faced with in-progress crimes or matters of eminent safety. But St. Cloud Police Chief Blair Anderson told lawmakers, There are perhaps members or supporters of this bill who have no idea what it is we're dealing with on the streets. We are not dealing with people who simply come to the door and answer it because we knock and ask them politely. Stiff opposition to that bill is expected in the Republican-controlled Minnesota Senate. Scott? Thanks, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. 
Only you can prevent wildfires. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Olympic athletes and mental health challenges are again at the forefront as the Winter Olympics wind down in Beijing. Tasha Radel has more. Joining me today is Carrie Bates, an outreach manager for the Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation. I also have to add, Carrie is a three-time Olympic gold medal swimmer who knows full well some of the challenges athletes face given her personal experiences, including struggles with mental health and substance use issues. Carrie, it seems to me more and more athletes are coming forward and addressing their struggles. We are seeing more and more athletes talking about their mental health and mental health, um, the importance of taking care of mental health, and then ultimately where some of these mental health challenges can take us, like into substance use disorder, et cetera. I think that these issues have always existed, Tasha, but now we're hearing more and more athletes really put a voice to that, which truly, in my opinion, is going to be part of their greatest legacy, is putting a voice to something that makes them um, human, that makes them the humans that they are, is to talk about challenges that, that all of us are facing in our life. I feel sometimes we as fans might put, and I guess not even realizing we are, pressure on these athletes competing. Do you believe they feel these added pressures and carry it with them? Oh, they feel it, absolutely. You know, especially the athletes that we saw, such as Simone Biles and Michaela this Winter Olympics. You know, these athletes, all elite athletes, all Olympians, put a lot of pressure on themselves But when it comes to being the, quote, darling of the Olympics, as the athletes I just mentioned are, um, it becomes even more prevalent, right? And so the pressures, the endorsement deals, every single elite athlete has experienced these exhilarating, amazing wins, but we've also all experienced these bone-crushing defeats. And those are the, the, the things that can stay with us for a lifetime and really in our minds can supersede the success that we had leading into the games. And that's where we get in trouble with our mental health. You know, we need to do a better job as consumers of really looking at these athletes as human beings first, because some kindness and love can go a long way in helping these athletes heal. Because right now, she's questioned, Michaela has come out and said she's questioning what she's done over the last 15 years of her life from two events at the Olympics. That is staggering. That that says something very deep that that's how much this means to these athletes. And my million-dollar question, Carrie, do you feel the Olympic Committee is embracing these issues and offering the help needed for these athletes to cope? The Olympic Committee, the, the International Olympic Committee, and the governing bodies of each sport can be doing a better job. Um, are they trying to um, influence change and influence accessibility for the athletes? I believe so, but we need to do better because for these athletes, you have to remember trust is imperative to be led into their inner circle and to trust the people that they're being handed off to to treat them is um, is vital to somebody's success, even non-athletes. You know, when I went to treatment for my own substance use disorder, one of my biggest challenges at Hazelden Buddy Ford was to learn to trust people and to tell 
my story to that I, I, I would know it wouldn't end up in the media or end up on social media. And that's crucial to somebody's healing. When it comes to mental health and substance use disorders, there continues to be a circle of stigma around it. What can we be doing to break down these barriers? We talk about it. We do things that what I'm doing every day. I share my name, my, my face, and my voice, and my story. And that's what changes stigma, to let people know that they're not alone. If you have substance use disorder in your family, talk to your kids about it. Talk to your siblings about it. That's how we impact change for future generations, is we have to acknowledge that this disease exists and that it runs in our families. There's a predisposition to it. And so we have to talk about it. We need to normalize that conversation. Thanks again to my guest, Carrie Bates, an outreach manager for the Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation and three-time Olympic gold medal swimmer. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Minnesota Upstream focuses on how special the state is, and it honors the state's natural wonders. I recently spoke with Upstream's Andy Goldman Gray about the group's mission to spread positivity and inspire action in Minnesota. Upstream is a celebration of Minnesota's natural places, and it's a storytelling campaign that features the people and organizations and communities that care for our natural places. Tell me a little bit about how that works and what that looks like, if you don't mind. Sure. So, um, you know, we're blessed in Minnesota to have all these amazing places from Lake Superior to, um, you know, the the Boundary Waters to the plains of southwest Minnesota, like really beautiful places, big and small. Um, And when you talk to all Minnesotans, um, they really care about this place. They take pride in it. Um, And more importantly, they care for their places. And I think too much of what happens is that, um, you know, there's people and organizations that want to make us feel not great about this, but in Minnesota, we do it better. We take care of our places, and we want to celebrate that to inspire more action. So when we tell stories about a dairy farmer in Kimball, Minnesota, who's doing amazing things to make his operation sustainable, we might inspire three other dairy farmers to do more. Um, or when we talk about a healthcare system, like Centricare, who's converting almost all of their energy generation to solar, we might inspire more healthcare systems to do more to care for our place. So the idea is to lift up and tell really positive and happy stories about our natural places and the people that care for them so that we inspire more people to do even more to take care of this wonderful and beautiful place we call home. Where, Andy, do these stories come from? How do they end up uh, with you? Yeah, good question. So. Um, we're out almost every day asking organizational and community partners to join Upstream as an initiative. Um, so we direct people to our website, which is mnupstream.org, um, and you can join as an individual or join as an organization. Um, and then, you know, we ask people to tell their stories. So that happens both through our website. You can submit a story there um, or through our social media and tag it, hashtag mnupstream and hashtag lovingwherewelive. Um, so some are stories that people are proud to tell on their own, and some I just go out and I interview people about how they about how they care for their place and what's important about Minnesota to them. And you touched on this just a little bit, but 
tell me what was it that actually uh, got you from the idea of of trying to shed light on how Minnesotans care about their state from that point to the point where it actually turned into an organization? Yeah, so we work with a whole bunch of really smart folks from across the state. Literally, almost every county in the state we've had conversations with. And everyone wants to see Minnesota do more and be better at the way we take care of our place. Um, so we had some smart folks help advise us on sort of how do you build a campaign that, that invites everyone in and celebrates what's good about Minnesota and invites people to do more. So, um, so this has just been through literally thousands of conversations across the state with people who care about where we live and want to do more to take care of it. Um, and I think it's really important to say that the people that are advising us come from all um, races and ethnicities, all ge- geographies, you know, literally from International Falls to Austin. Um, we've talked to people all across the state uh, and all political uh, affiliations. So, that, you know, this isn't a Democrat or a liberal or, and it's not a conservative Republican thing. This is a thing that's about being proud of Minnesota and engaging where we live and taking care of where we live. If we have uh, listeners who are curious about this or if they have their own stories to tell, what are some of the steps that they should take to try to get in touch uh, to share that information? Yeah, probably the most, uh, the easiest way for them to get engaged is to go to mnupstream.org. And right there on the homepage, it explains what we're doing, this relentlessly positive celebration of what makes Minnesota great and the people that care for it. Um, and there's two buttons on that page, one that says join us, um, and that helps you understand like what it means to come into Upstream, either as an individual or an organization. And then there's a button that says tell your story, and that gives you a chance just to literally go in and say, here's what I love about my place, whether that's your backyard or your local park or your favorite lake or whatever it is, um, and it asks you how you care for that place. What are the steps that you take to make this place a better place to live for all of us? Uh, Andy, I, I like the idea that there's something positive here and that the message is a positive one, but I know that there are going to be folks out there that, that will hear this and say, well, there are, uh, yes, there are positive things about Minnesota, but there are also a lot of negative things going on right now. How do you kind of counteract the, the reality with trying to send that positive message? Yeah, I think we create the world that we want to live in. And by sending positivity out and using stories of amazing people doing amazing things, we're, we're relearning how to be positive. So for us, um, this, is a, this is a campaign that will always be about celebrating our places and our people, um, because that's really what Minnesota is about. Uh, and we're not going to delve into, into things that are negative or controversial, because that, you know, you create the world you, you want to live in. And the world we want to live in is one where when Minnesotans come together, we can solve any problem. We can create um, civil and respectable discourse on the best ways to take care of our place and not, not dive it into the negativity and the, and the um, conflict. Well stated, Andy. Good information. Anything else you wanted to add this morning? Yeah, so we've got um, some really great social media storytellers, too. So if you're someone that likes to look at the world through your computer or your phone, um, you can follow us on Facebook uh, and Instagram and LinkedIn and see stories of organizations and individuals who are doing really cool stuff. Um, one of the women that's involved in Upstream is a woman named Divya Maya. Um, she works at Best Buy, Best Buy, and she started her own nonprofit. And she is she loves winter. Um, you know, in late February, it's kind of hard to do that. She just posted an Instagram uh, video of her out skiing, 
in her sari. She's an Indian woman. Um, and we've had, I think, over 100,000 people look at that video. And so you go out and you read these stories and you see these stories and these photos of the beautiful place that we have. Um, and it can't help you. It can't help but make you smile because Minnesota is filled with such amazing people and such amazing places that are worth taking care of. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Upstream's Andy Goldman Gray. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Last night we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow-in-the-dark like this before, and we invented glow-in-the-dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. Woohoo! So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all-ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars, because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you. And discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later! Yeah, see you soon! Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Big Ten Conference began the Equality Coalition back in June of 2020 to help promote social justice and address needs for student-athletes within the conference. The coalition is comprised of a cross-section of university students, athletic directors, faculty representatives, and athletes themselves. One such athlete is Golden Gopher women's senior basketball player Godiva Hubbard of Virginia Beach, Virginia. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm caught up with Hubbard to ask her about what it's meant to her to serve on this coalition. It's actually been really nice. You know, like you said, when we started it, you know, the George Floyd thing had just happened and our campus was literally shook. Not just our, our campus, but our community as a whole was shook. Um, and honestly, some people, you know, haven't recovered from that so like you know it's good to have this conference to talk about you know let things out and to not just talk about what's going on in your campus but to hear what's going on in other people's campuses and how they're handling it and you know what they think could help better their campus along with you know yours as well so it's just nice to hear about everybody's experience how often um do you guys get to get to meet how big of a group is it is it usually virtually i assume uh and and what kind of topics do you guys discuss well um uh, we don't it's not a set schedule but you know we do meet all the time via zoom as you said online um and there's a lot of people it's not just due to athletes on there's chancellors there's teachers there's athletic directors there's coaches there's a lot of people in different positions and like on campuses that have inputs. And again, it's just really nice to hear from different levels and different perspectives. And I don't know, it's just hearing how an athletic director might go about trying to make the environment better for people of color on their campuses as versus my experience per se would be interesting. And like having that back and forth conversation is really needed. Yeah. And when you have an opportunity to offer input, what are some of the things that you offer to the group in terms of maybe needs that, that you personally uh, have and maybe just the campus as a whole here at Minnesota that you share with the, with the entire coalition? 
I gratefully <laughs> have not had to say too much about our campus. I, for my speaking for myself, I feel very welcomed on our campus. I haven't had any issues, um, but I know I couldn't say the same thing for the next person. So I guess I could say just the impact that I wanted to have was being able to educate more about Black history, not just during the month, but, you know, year round, basically, you know, just not just focusing on it in one month. Just I felt like it's more important enough to know about in other months of the year. No question. And do you see maybe some progress along those lines that um, that everyone maybe is taking a, a, a harder look at uh, Black history and, and what um, you know, people of color have had to go through not just, you know, years ago, but even up to right this minute. Um, and, and people are having a greater appreciation of it. Yes, I, I am seeing progress. You know, there's still obviously things happening. There was something else that just happened down here in Minneapolis. And it's just you want to say there's progress, but then you, there's a huge setback. And you're just like, what's happening? What's going on? I thought we were making progress. But I guess there there is progress it may be very, very little, but it is progress, to say the least. And I think once we start using our platforms a little more as student athletes, I think it'll help get out to our communities a little better. Yeah, oftentimes you hear that, you know, uh, you want a voice, not you personally, although you do like to have a voice, but just in general, um, how important is that just to maybe have the, uh, you know, a little bit more freedom to have that voice? I think just even in, in you know, since that has happened, um, more people have felt at liberty to speak up about some of the things going on. Do you feel that way, too? Yes, I I do feel great that I am able to speak up and I'm grateful to have coaches that want us to speak up and they have our backs 100% of the way. And going back to when this Equality Coalition started, um, how did the invite come? Um, what, uh, you know, what, where did uh, the idea that, that um, you know, and, and when the invite came, you know, were you uh, eager to, uh, to have an opportunity? <laughs> yes. I remember Coach Way actually reached out to me and asked if I did want to be a part of this coalition. And at first I was like, you know, like, what is it? You know, I'm trying to get all the details. You know, Mark Coyle reached out to me as well, asking me, and I was like, wow, like that athletic director is reaching out, like this must be really important. Um, and after, you know, I got all the details and everything, I this seemed like something I really wanted to be a part of and something that I felt was close to my heart. Have you been able to um, to have any contact with with Kevin Warren, who is, of course, now the commissioner of the Big Ten and a person of color himself and certainly, you know, is is uh, a model in terms of, you know, to strive for that kind of stuff. Have you been able to to chat with him at all? Uh, I, I, I assume he's on some of these Zooms and you get to hear from him. Yes, he he is on the Zooms. I mean, personal contact, you know, just like one on one conversation. Not as much. Um, he might chime in, like, you know, if we're talking and, you know, he thinks he, you know, he can add some, like, stuff in there. But, you know, not, like, personal, like, one-on-one, like, conversation. I mean, it would be great. He, he's an amazing person. But, you know, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. yeah. Have you been impressed with, with him, one, putting this coalition together, and two, kind of how he's managed the entire uh, student-athlete kind of well-being uh, within, the, within the conference? Yes. Um, and I'm actually really happy how quickly it was formed, especially after the George Floyd case. I think it was something that needed to be done. It, it was done, and it was executed perfectly. And I think adding so many different people into it, again, not just student-athletes, but people on different levels as well was really smart again different pers perspectives and very much needed 
to say the least. That's Gopher women's basketball player Godiva Hubbard and MN sports director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. <laughs>